All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome at all of our campuses and to those of you watching online as well. We are in the second week of a series called While We Wait, and it's based on two books in the New Testament, First and Second Thessalonians. Now, First and Second Thessalonians were written by a guy named Paul, and Paul wrote several letters that are in our New Testament. And oftentimes when Paul wrote a letter, it wasn't just some vague kind of generic letter to whom it may concern. Oftentimes he wrote to specific churches about a specific issue. And that was the case in First and Second Thessalonians. Paul was planted the church in Thessalonica, but now there was some confusion about the return of Jesus Christ. There were some people who were like, hey, Jesus, he was crucified in like 33 AD. Now it's about like 45 AD. Where is he? I don't think he's coming. And then there was another group of people in the church who were like, no, he's coming. He's coming this year. We're going to quit our jobs. So they were just quitting their jobs, kind of kicking back. It's like, well, if he's going to return, might as well do that. And so Paul was writing to clear up the confusion for both. He wanted them to know how to live while we wait, which is why we titled the series While We Wait. Today's message is on a topic that's become extremely popular in the year 2023. Which is always kind of interesting to me because you have this topic that was spoken of in the Bible, and now, thousands of years later, there's vlogs, and there's blogs, and there's YouTube videos, and there's Instagram posts about that issue, and here's the topic, simplicity. You might call it minimalism. If you're a busy parent or professional, you're just like, I need a break. I mean, that's just, there's something in us that would say, I'm moving too fast, I have too much stuff, And my life is too complicated. That's why some people daydream about hobby farms. They're like, I just want to go milk goats and cows. That sounds really relaxing to me compared to my normal life. Like, well, that's that's kind of hard work. No, no, it's going to be easier. It's why some people daydream about lake homes and cabins. Why some people just want a day to sit at the beach and take in the sun. It's why a book like Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, a book about simplicity and minimalism, became a New York Times bestseller. It was so popular, in fact, that Netflix did a reality show about it. We all seem to want simplicity in our life. Our family recently did something that did not simplify our life. And my wife warned me she didn't want to do it. And I was kind of the one who pushed this whole thing through. And then a week in, I was like, oh, she was right. We ha- I have a busy job. We have five kids who are involved in activities. So what did we go and do? We bought a puppy. <laughs> Here's the good news. He's cute. He's really, really cute. But let me tell you why this hasn't always been the best choice in our lives. My kids told me before we got this dog, they promised me, they said, dad, you're not going to have to go out in your underwear at 11 o'clock at night to let the dog out. We're going to do that. They said, dad, you're not going to have to get up before work to let the dog out to the bathroom. We will do that. Dad, You're not going to have to potty train the dog or pick up its messes. Trust us. We're going to take care of all of it. Lies. Okay? (laughs) If your kids try to sell this to you, I'm just telling you it's not true. I had to do all of those things in the first week and then some. Not only that, but this dog gets hyper. 
And when he gets hyper, he likes to bite things. His favorite targets are my fingers, my wedding ring, and my nose. He sees my nose or my wedding ring, and he's in attack mode. Have I told you that he's really cute? Yeah. He's really, really cute. But he has complicated our life in a significant kind of way. Now, here's my question for you. Would you describe your life as simple or complicated? Anytime I've ever had a chance to ask that question to people, the answer I always get is, oh, complicated. We have a way of complicating our lives. We rush to, we rush from, we say yes to this, we say yes to that, we pick up a little part-time side hustle over here. We seem to complicate our lives. It was interesting for me to read some of the history of how our culture became so rushed. About a century ago, which is just a blip in the timeline of history, well over 50% of Americans were farmers. At one point, about 90% of Americans worked as farmers. But then, over time, that job is a, a hard job, but it's kind of a simple job, right? You, you, you produce your own food, you barter with your neighbors, you're in your community, you're not driving your kids off to all kinds of different activities all the time. It's a hard job, but in some ways, it's a simpler job. But then, over time, our culture began to change. Industrialization, urbanization began to reshape our society. And today, only 2% of Americans are farmers. Went from 90% down to 2%. In fact, the number one leisure activity in America last year was shopping. They asked people, hey, what do you do for leisure? What do you do when you want to just have some free time? Well, we go shopping. Amazon made $225 billion last year alone. That was up 14% on the year before, $225 billion. That's why one sociologist said that atheism has not replaced cultural Christianity. He said shopping has replaced cultural Christianity. And he might be right. These days, since the 1950s, the size of our families has shrunk in half, but the size of our homes have doubled. So our families are getting smaller, but our houses are getting bigger. Storage units. There's 23 million of them in the United States. We don't have enough space to store all our stuff. The basement's full, the garage is full. What about that storage space under the stairs? No, 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 we, we, that thing is really full. Furnace room is full, linen closet's full, walk-in closet, yeah, that's full too. We have to pay to store more of our stuff. Now, if you have a storage unit, you don't have to feel shame about that. There, there's good reasons to get them from time to time, but the storage unit industry is a $29 billion industry just to store our stuff. I haven't even talked to us yet about schedules. I mean, if you were to ask someone, how are you doing? The most common response you're going to get is, good. The second most common response you're going to get is, busy. What's the one word to encapsulate how you as a human being are? Everything about you, what do I need to know in one word? Oh, let me think. Busy. 
That's the one word to describe my life. All this brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, and Paul writes these words, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, I'm going to give you some context of this verse in just a moment, but just to start, it's an odd juxtaposition of words, ambition next to quiet. Because ambition is an active word. It's desire. You're, you're pursuing it. You're, you're going out and trying to get it. Quiet seems to be the opposite of that. Quiet seems to be what you want when you're tired of your ambition. When you need a break from your ambition. It's, it's when your roommates won't stop talking. It's when your kids won't stop yelling. And you kind of go, I just, I just need a break. I need some quiet. But could you really say if you're a type A entrepreneur or if you are a fun-loving extrovert, would you really say my ambition in life is to lead a quiet life? I mean, when you were in college or if you're in college right now and somebody asks you, what do you hope to get out of your life? Could you ever have imagined saying it's my ambition to lead a quiet life? I mean, an influential life, a famous life, a fun life, a happy life, yeah, all of those things. But most people aren't going to say, it's my ambition to lead a quiet kind of life. And yet that's exactly what Paul says. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Maybe some context of this verse will help us. I've always said you can't pull verses out of context. If you just pull a verse out and you don't see what's before it and what's after it, it's easy to twist it and have it say something that it isn't meant to say. And so what does Paul say right after? He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. He says, you should mind your own business and work with your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He says, mind your own business. That's a good verse, isn't it? I mean, some of you might have someone in your life, you're like, I'm going to send that to them. Why don't you just go read 1 Thessalonians 4.11, buddy, mind your own business. He says, mind your own business. And then later in 2 Thessalonians, he said this, we've heard some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. He says they are idle and disruptive. If you own a business or you work at an organization, I'm guessing that there might be one of the employees who is idle and disruptive. They don't do a lot. They tend to show up late and leave early, but let me tell you, when they're there, it's a lot of work. It's disruptive to everyone else. Paul says there's people in the church like that. They're idle and they're disruptive. He said they're not busy. He says they're not busy, they're busy bodies. And there's a difference between those two things. Some of us right now are busy. I mean, you have a busy life. You have a family to take care of and invest in. You have a job. You're doing meaningful work. You're busy. But there are other people who are busy bodies. I mean, they're doing this and that and this and that. And they're doing all these things and racing around. But there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not meaningful. It's not significant. 
When Paul uses this word busy body, he carries with it the idea of a gossip. This is a person who's going through the school, they're heading through the neighborhood, and they're like, hey, uh, what happened over here? And did you hear about them? And did you see what they did? And Paul says, when you live that kind of life, you lose the respect of outsiders. He says, mind your own business. And then he says, you should work with your hands so that you're not dependent on anybody. What does he mean here? Well, it's what I talked about earlier. There are some people in the church who thought that Jesus was going to return that year. And so they just quit their jobs. And they're like, oh, we'll just, you know, kind of mooch off other people for a little while. And then when Jesus returns, you know, we'll, we'll be set. And Paul is like, get a job. J-O-B, get a job. Now, this adds a layer to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Because what he's not saying is make it your ambition to lead an easy life. He's not saying, you know, hey, you should just go sit on the beach with one of those flowery drinks. He's not saying you should show up at 9.30, leave at 3.30. He's not saying that. He's not saying live an easy life. He's saying you should make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I was reading in Psalm 39 and King David said this, he said, Lord, show me my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. Remember when I was about 13 or so, I had an older cousin who had turned 27. And I remember this because I had just read an article about 27 being the peak age for an athlete. If you're 27 right now, enjoy it, right? <laughs> downhill after this, just straight downhill for you. But I remember being a preteen, an early teen, and I thought to myself, wow, I can't imagine being in my 20s. And then I blinked, and I was in my 20s. And I remember being in my 20s and making fun of people in their 40s. So people in their 40s are so old. And when I was in my 20s, 40-year-olds, they used to wear khakis with tennis shoes and they tuck their shirt in, and they talk about their leaf blowers, and they're walking around, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And then I blinked. And last week, I'm standing out talking to my neighbor about fertilizer. <laughs> it's what David said. Our life is a breath. It's a mist. It's, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And so David goes on, and he says, everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain, they rush about. What are they rushing doing? Because rushing is kind of the opposite of a quiet life. They rush about keeping up wealth, keeping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. I've talked to two people in the last year who have said to me that their goal of life is to create generational wealth. They said, I want to create so much wealth that my kids, my grandkids are set for life. And on the one hand, I, I, I see aspects of that that are positive. You're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other people. I get that. But I just had two little concerns. The first one is I thought, is it going to be good for your kids or your grandkids to have so much money that they don't have to work for it? Like, will that actually produce positive effects in their life? But the second concern I had is what Jesus said. 
He said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I don't want to just pass along generational wealth. I want to pass along a generational faith. I want my kids and my grandkids to know Jesus Christ and to walk with Jesus Christ. But in order to pass along that kind of faith, we have to have more interactions than just get in the car, we're going to be late. We can't be rushing everywhere to this activity and that activity. We have to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. So how do you do that? Many of us are busy. We're going to be busy. But how in the middle of our busyness can we make it our ambition to pursue a quiet life? I truly believe that for some of you, this is exactly the message that you need to hear right now. Here's the first way to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Eliminate distraction. I mentioned earlier the book by Marie Kondo called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And it's a book about simplicity and minimalism. And in there, she talks about decluttering your closet. And she has a suggestion for you if you're planning on decluttering your closet. She says you should go through your closet. You should hold up each article of clothing. And you should ask this question, apparently to the article of clothing, do you spark joy? <laughs> and if the answer is yes, it's a keeper. Put it back in the closet. If the answer is no, that goes in the giveaway pile. I mean, I couldn't help but laugh thinking about picking up like my white undershirts, and I'm like, do you spark joy? <laughs> we talk a lot about decluttering a closet. What about decluttering a life? When Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, he's not saying a cluttered life. He's not saying a rushed life. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I was at an In-N-Out Burger in Phoenix a couple of months ago, and what I'm about to say next is going to deeply offend some of you. And you are going to be so frustrated, and you're not going to want to listen to anything else I have to say because you're going to be so bothered by this but I think Culver's Burger is better than In-N-Out's Burger. Culver's Burger, it's just a better burger. Culver's is the best thing to ever come out of Wisconsin. It's the only good thing to ever come out of Wisconsin, but it, it is, well, they were all like clapping and they're like, ah. I just let you clap and get excited and then just took you down there. Uh, it just is a better burger. But here's what I love about In-N-Out Burger. The simplicity of their menu. Have you seen this? It's a hamburger. It's a cheeseburger. It's a double-double cheeseburger. That's it. Usually I'm the one doing the ordering at the drive-thru for my kids. And I'm like, what do you want? And they're like, I'll have a number 13. But can I get the side from the number 11? I'm like, no, no, here we go. This was so simple. I'm like, do you want a hamburger or a cheeseburger? I mean, just pick which one you want. Some of us need a life that looks more like that menu. Some of us have a life right now that looks like one of these cafes or restaurants that has like 300 things that you can choose from. And you're like, I'll have number 89. We need to have a life that looks a little more simple. And here's why. The life that you're living might be keeping you from the life that you want. I'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, I just wish I had a deeper faith. I wish I, 
I had, had more of a trust on Jesus Christ, and I felt his love. And I'll say, well, I mean, you spend an hour a day on Instagram. The, the life that you're living might be keeping you from the life that you want. I'll talk to people and they'll say, my marriage, we just don't have intimacy and we don't connect and we just kind of are with, at each other a little bit. And I'll say, well, just show me your weekly schedule. And there's work and there's golf and there's hanging out with neighbors and friends and all these other activities and taking kids to this practice and this recital. And, and I just want to say, well, there's, there's no magic bullet here. If you want a better marriage, you have to invest in your marriage. You have to prioritize your marriage. The life that you're living might be the very thing that is keeping you from the life that you want. And so here's a little homework for all of us this week. Declutter your life. Go through your budget from the last six months and just go through and look down and go, nah, nah, we don't need to spend as much money on that. We, we don't need to buy that. I've been doing some of the grocery shopping for our family and I was at Costco last week and our kids were like, hey dad, could you get us a bag of those dried mangoes? And I didn't even look at what they cost. I just you know, threw them in the cart. I got home. I looked at the receipt, $18. Now it's a really big bag. It should last until Jesus returns, I think. <laughs> But it was $18. I said, kids, I hope you enjoy your dry mangoes. We're not getting those again. Just cross it out. Do the same with your schedule. Walk through your schedule and go, okay, what have we spent time on over the last you know, six months or so? And we're just going to kind of go through and we're going to cut a few things out. We don't need to spend so much time on that. Here, here's a phrase that has helped me a lot in making decisions, and it's this. If it's not a definite yes, it's a no. I heard author Susie Larson make that statement. If it's not a definite yes, it's a no. And that has helped me so much because if people are like, hey, do you want to come to this? Do you want to speak at this? Do you want to be a part of this? There's always a part of me that's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. But if I find myself going like this, I go, oh, if it's not a definite yes, it's a no. Do the same thing when I'm buying something. If I'm buying something and I'm like, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I'll wear it. But it's not a definite yes. Then it's a no. Author Randy Elkhorn has written a book called The Treasure Principle. And if you have not read this book, you've got to pick up The Treasure Principle. Tiny little book. You'll get through it quickly. But in there, he tells a story about he and his wife. They had this green shag carpet in their basement. And they were just like, oh, we don't like this green shag carpet. And so they said, we're going to remodel our basement. We're going to rip up the green shag carpet. We're going to put in nice, brand new carpet. And so they did. But they had little kids. And so for months afterwards, every time they were in the basement, they were stressed. And they were miserable. They were like, oh, Oh, don't, don't spill the nail polish. Don't bring that juice down here. Take off your shoes. They didn't want them to mess up the carpet. And after about six months, they looked at one another and they said, I miss my green shag carpet. <laughs> he goes on to use this as an example for our whole lives. He says in our life, the things that we have here on earth, we're not going to have them for that much longer. We're only here on earth for a short period of time. We're in eternity forever. 
He said, do you think in eternity you're going to care about your house, your car, all these things that seem so important? I mean, do you think somebody who died in the 17th century is, is in right now at this very moment in eternity going, oh, should have bought that other horse. Should have gotten the red blanket and put the red blanket under the saddle. That would have been banging. Oh, I just made such a huge mistake. No, it doesn't really matter. My wife and I talk about this all the time, treasure principle. The more stuff you have, the more you have to take care of. The more stuff you have, the more you have to store. The more stuff you have, the more can break and need to be fixed. The more that gets broken and needs to be fixed, the more stress we have in our life. Treasure principle. I watched a video by Pastor Kyle Eidelman who spoke at our church in March, and he was showing the back patio at his house. And he said, this is where I spend time with God every morning. And he said, I come out here and I bring three things with me. I bring my coffee, my Bible, and a journal. But he said, even more important than what I bring is what I don't bring. He said, I don't bring my phone. I don't need the distraction. I don't need to be looking down going, wait a minute, who just texted me? Maybe I should check my email. What's on my calendar today? What's the weather like in Florida right now? He said, I don't need the distraction. Eliminate distractions. Some of us, if we would just go through our life and eliminate some distractions, we could slow down and we could begin to live the life that we've wanted, which leads to the second way that you can make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and it's prioritize connection. First with God, then with others. Eliminate distraction so that you can prioritize connection. About five years ago, our family was in Dallas Texas, and so we took our kids to Six Flags Amusement Park. And for our family of seven, it cost us over $400 to get in. And then we had to stand 15 minutes in line to get through security, 15 minutes in line to pay. And then the first ride that we went on was this bobsled roller coaster. It was kind of a cool ride, but we had to stand in line for 45 minutes to get on that one. And so when we got done, I looked at my phone and we had been there for an hour and 15 minutes and been on one ride. After that, we went on a roller coaster that I legitimately thought I was going to die on. <laughs> I looked it up and a woman did die on that roller coaster in 2013. No joke. I'm like, oh. Then I went on the Batman roller coaster. When we got done with that one, my kids looked at me and said, Dad, you're sweating. And I was. I was in a cold sweat. So to try to calm things down, we went and got a funnel cake and that was the nail in the coffin. I was like, oh, I'm out. We were there the whole day. We went on eight rides. Was it fun? In a sick way, yeah. Like there was aspects of it that were fun. But the next morning, I woke up and went out to the back deck at the house that we were staying at. And here's what I wrote down in my journal. I said, yesterday I had fun, but this morning I'm filled with peace. Yesterday, I spent $400. This morning was free. Yesterday, I was tired and irritated. Today, I feel refreshed. Yesterday was entertaining. But today, I have joy. 
Friends, I see so many of us filling up our lives with entertainment and activities and entertainment and more activities when what we really need the most is to be filled with God's spirit, to be filled with the power and the presence and the love of Jesus Christ. And you don't get that at Six Flags. You don't get that at a movie theater. You don't get that at a sporting event. You only get that when you slow down, when you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and when you prioritize connection. My wife, Sarah, and I uh, went out to eat in April. It was that one day when it was 80 degrees. You remember that? It snowed three days later. But that one day, it was like everybody was out in the neighborhood walking. And we were at this restaurant, just kind of out in a patio, and we weren't rushed, and we weren't hurried, and I could feel myself slowing down, and we began to connect. And I thought, some of the best moments in our life are like that. Some of the best moments in our life are when we're putting our kids to bed at night, and we're not like, brush your teeth! Like a bomb's going to go off if they don't brush their teeth in 20 seconds because we've got an email, we've got a return. Some of the best moments in life are when we slow down and we read a book and we pray for them and we talk about their day. Some of the best moments in life are when you're able to just sit with God and you experience his love and his presence in our life. And some of you might say, well, I, I mean, I'd love to do that. I'd love to sit on a patio and sit and talk, but, but I'm a pre-med student. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I have to work two jobs. I'm a single parent. I'm just trying to make things you know, go by. And I would say to you, yes, you are living a very busy life. But even in the busyness, could you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life? Could you say, you know what, I'm going to take a walk I'm going to have a break from class. I'm just going to take a walk outside and pray and get some sun for five minutes. Could you listen to an old sermon from, you know, months ago or years ago on the way to work or when you're working out? Could you say, you know what, I'm going to schedule some time to have breakfast or lunch with one of my kids just to have that time to connect with them? Could you prioritize connection? Author John Maxwell says it this way. He says, lack of time is not the problem. It's the lack of direction. See, we all tend to think, well, it's, I don't have the time, but, but we have 24 hours in a day. The problem isn't time. The problem is direction. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, here's the two most important commandments. Love God, love others. In other words, prioritize connection. I mentioned earlier that our family had bought a dog, but I didn't tell you what his name was. His name is Augie. And he's a Maltipoo. Would you like to meet him? We're going to bring Augie out here. This is my wonderful daughter, Isabel, who was one of the ones who had promised me that she would take care of him. So she's my guest here with me. Thank you. This weekend. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. This dog, when I come home, comes running as fast as his little legs will carry him. And he jumps up and he licks my face. Nobody else does that. <laughs> my wife doesn't do that. 
my kids don't come running up when they hear the garage door open. Only this little dog does that. Now I'm going to give him back to Isabel because he's a little gets a little squirmy. Thank you. She's going to walk off. Give them a round of applause. I don't know if this is true, but my wife had read that when a dog is taken away from its mom, the first night or so, they get really stressed. And what the dog wants to hear is a heartbeat. They're used to laying next to their mom and they can hear their mom's heartbeat. And my wife is the sweetest person because she didn't even want this dog. But on the first night that we got him, he was really stressed. And so she stayed up and she let him fall asleep on her chest so he could listen to her heartbeat. And I thought, I wonder how many of us need to slow down so that we can hear the heartbeat of God for our life. That we could slow down and we could hear God say, I love you. I have a plan for you. I know this is hard, but you can, you can trust me through this. How many of us need to rest in the arms of Jesus and to just hear the heartbeat of God? To just hear that ba-bump, ba-bump. I love you. I'm with you. Do not fear. To bring our stress and our anxiety and our pain before God and to hear his heartbeat for our life. But you don't get that if it's just get in the car, we're late. You don't get that from entertainment and activities. You only get it when you eliminate some distractions, when you prioritize connection, and when you make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Let's pray together across all of our campuses. God, there are some of us here who just have too much going on. And we're missing something, God. We're missing your peace. We're missing your presence. We're missing out on those quiet moments that bring some of the most joy to our life. God, right now, we declare before you, we want to make it our ambition. We're not always going to be perfect, but we want to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, to work hard, to love the people around us, to connect with you, God, to be a faith-filled person. Lord, that's our ambition. And God, if there are some of us here who need to hear your heartbeat, who need to hear your love and experience it in our life, I pray that we would slow down and we would hear you say, I love you. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who demonstrated your whole love to the world. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.
Hey, join us next week for week three of this series. We'll see you then.